Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Our reading is going to come from a very, very wonderful text that many a time I find even when we quote or use, we speak so much the surface of it and have not really gone so deep to define one pack the wealth that it comes with and even in this someone I know that what I'm going to teach will not suffice to express it all but I pray adventure tonight God will launch you a bit deeper in understanding this portion of scripture somebody say I receive it Jeremiah 33 verses 3 this is a man in the court of prison. And right there he has an experience with God and some prophetic wealth comes out of his spirit for you and I this afternoon. He says, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Pray unto me, and I will show thee great and mighty things which you do not know, which you did not know, which you cannot know. God is inviting a man to receive great and mighty things. I mean, there's many prayers in life. There's many ways to pray. But very few people in the world, now I'm talking about the Christendom, really understand the power of Jeremiah 33 verses 3. Because we're living in a dispensation of what we call neo-Pentecostalism. The kind of gospel that is geared only to how much a man can take but without the responsibility of how much is required because of how much he has been given. The Bible says, to whom much has been given, much is required. We want to take as much as we can from God but we don't give answers when it is required of us but to allow it to function, to find purpose, find a place to serve God in whatever he has given us. And so then eventually we find ourselves even asking for less than we should ask for. Asking below what we ought to be asking for. Praying for things we're not supposed to be praying for. Are you listening? So when Jeremiah in 33 says pray unto me and I shall show you great and mighty 
the word there, the Hebrew word there for mighty. For those of you who should know, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew and the New Testament was written in Greek. And so sometimes to extrapolate all meaning of text, we have to go back to the Hebrew and Greek to help us explain what the English did not have the power to put into words. And such is the word mighty. The word mighty there is the word called Baotzao. And Baotzao means restrained. Baotzao means fenced in. Baotzao means fortified. Baotzao means made inaccessible. Baotzao means mystery. In other words, if I read it in the way the Hebrew is trying to say it, it would be, call unto me and I will show thee great and inaccessible things. Great and fenced in things. Great and hidden things. Great and restrained things, which you did not know. Why do you not know them? Because there is a certain order spiritually that allows you to access those things. Not everybody can access those things. Are you following what I'm saying? Pray unto me and I will show you great and unsearchable things. To what end? Why do we want to access great and mighty things? Simple. That by the understanding of these things, we might display the glory of God on the earth. Those of you who attended Thursday's service, you remember? The things that were hidden from the foundations of the world for your glory. That you might display the glory of the Lord on the earth. So if you didn't watch or you didn't attend last Thursday's service, I'd recommend you go and look for it. For those of you who, who missed it, it's an important thing because... If you were from the Thursday, this is a very good connection. If you haven't watched it, go and watch it. We are deliberately, and I feel God has prompted my heart to open conversations around this thing because I have seen by the Spirit just how much glory is being released in the last days, ready to be revealed through the sons and daughters of God when we take our right positioning in the Spirit and carry the wisdom and understanding necessary to be attuned to what God is trying to do in this hour, in a time where the church is ridiculed, reproached in many parts of the world. And some of you who have been watching online in Europe and in Asia, in America and many parts of the world, you see that the church is on a downward trend. I read an article painfully recently. CNN was writing about the end of Christianity. Because from the eyes they're seeing it, the pews are empty. In the United States alone, they say 50% of the church congregation did not come back after COVID. They were hit and they lost faith in God. And now their mind and heart has gone to science. So ultimately the question is, what are we to do in this time? Rebuke them, fight them, speak evil about them, you know? No, 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 no. Even they don't know what to do. They're trying. They're trying every trick they know how, but the churches, especially in Europe, are closing. 
Some buildings are under sale now. Christianity is not like we knew it in many parts of the world. Thank God in Africa is a different narrative. By the way. Although we have many people who are short-sighted in how they see life because they don't understand the vantage points of vision to really see things the way God sees them. You know, many people take for granted what you have here, what you have on Thursdays. You take for granted this congregation. You take for granted how many people around you know what you know and have an opportunity to serve God in the presence. True presence. You know, not a false light. One wise person said that you can never miss the water until the well dries. In other words, that when certain things are available to us in abundance, we tend to esteem lightly or become familiar because they are available until we are put in circumstances where those things are not there. That's when we understand how important some of those things are. And some of the things some of you take for granted now, even concerning the gospel, some people would pay millions of dollars to receive. But they're not able to have what some of you have on a weekly, on a daily, on a monthly. Some are living their lives to death and they've never seen a crippled man walk or a blind eye open before their eyes or a tooth grow. There's things that you have indulged and engaged with. And for some, they don't change you because of familiarity. So the Bible says, woe unto you. For if the works that were done in you were done in Tyre and Zidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth. Woe unto you. For if the works that were done in you were done in Sodom and Gomorrah, it would have stood. So the destruction of those cities was because there is a work that they did not have the opportunity to experience. And Jesus looks at a generation that has that much access and still we still see destruction in their borders because the water is available. The well is flowing. So, how then do you teach a man who takes for granted something because it's available for them? What kind of teaching do you give them? It's like once I was in America and I visited and I realized these guys were not praying for food. They were just not praying for food. These things we bless God for food or give thanks for your food. For you praying for food. So I just realized that they have lived so much with food that for them, food is not a miracle. Food is not a miracle because they've lived generations of abundance. In fact, they're dying because they have a lot. See what I'm saying? If I could take that kind of person and take them so deep in the village somewhere in Kayunga, where kids eat one meal a day and they dig almost for five hours or four hours. It's easier there to appreciate food. But to raise a generation that can have all the abundance but still carry the wisdom to appreciate that it's available. That 
is maturity. That is maturity. That's the separation of revelation, which is a voice to the follower, and wisdom, which is the voice to the leader. You cannot, by reason of how much you access in revelation, assume, therefore, that you carry wisdom until you go through some sort of experience. And that experience is not necessarily tagged to age. I have seen people who are old but have not learned the wisdom that is due their age. That is why they speak of, you know, when the Bible speaks of people with uh, white, hair, white hair, the Bible says the hoary head is a crown of glory, comma, if it be found in the way of righteousness. In other words, there's a possibility of having a hoary hair, but you have not aged in righteousness. God has not dealt with you. You understand? Likewise, there are people who are younger in age, but God has really dealt with them. Because when God is dealing, he does not deal with a man according to age. He deals with a man according to how available they are before him. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, for the things that would touch wisdom, I find that in many dispensations, especially for our young generation that is just excited about whatever comes out of the lips of a man dispelling uh, revelation, it is just the excitement. Just carry the excitement of, oh, this was deep. I enjoyed this message. I understood it. But has your spirit gone through the experience? Has your spirit gone through the death of that message, the circumcision of that message, the consecration of that message into wisdom? Because that's what you impart to another. That's what actually works in you. It's not the word that comes to you. It's the ingrafted word in you. That's what Paul calls it. He says, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. The word that saves you is engrafted. It is knit together with your spirit. You carry the experience and you live in the reality of that word. And that's wisdom. That's wisdom. So I'm not saying that revelation is wrong to have. No, it's the beginning. And like the Bible speaks of the facets of hearing, the Bible speaks of those who receive the word with joy. With joy. Somebody says, hey, they get excited. The Bible says in the same way these ones, sown upon stony ground are those who, when they hear the word. Give me the Amplified. I want you to read in the Amplified. He says in the same way, these are the ones sown on the stony ground who are, when they hear the word, at once receive and accept and welcome it with joy. They will come it with joy, exuberance. Yay! They carry whistles. They stand up in the middle of the someone and they say, mm, mm, mm. They write notes. You see somebody scribbling notes. They're saying, this is mine. And the next line says, but they have no real root in themselves. I'm not saying that everybody who screams has no root. I'm only saying some people who scream carry no root. And so they endure for a little while and when trouble or persecution arises on account of what, they immediately are offended. They become displeased, indignant, resentful and they stumble and fall away. You say, but this guy, this guy used to scream. What happened? <laughs> Things changed. It's not easy for, for that system. 
saying, why was she screaming like she knew God more than everybody else? And I'm not saying that I have a problem with you screaming. I'm just saying, brother, when you scream, scream with root, some root. Scream with some root. Blow your whistle with some root. I'm not saying I'm against, you know, no, heaven has no. Yes, thank you. I'm saying blow it all, all you want, but we're going to ask you for fruit. I don't mind you screaming. Scream. But we want fruit. Hallelujah. Are you following what I'm saying? So then the Spirit asks, to whom is the heart of God revealed? To carry the burden and weight and hunger that comes with such a text. How many people in our generation really are seeking for great and inaccessible things? And for what purpose are they seeking them for? Oh, I want to launch deeper in the things of God so I can get a good husband. I, I want to get launch, to launch deeper in the things of God so I can, you know, get married. You know, I, I want to launch deeper in the things of God because I want a promotion. I want to launch deeper in the things of God because I want to have a big ministry. I want to launch deeper in the things of God because I want to get a visa to go to America. You know, I want to launch deeper in the things of God because I want to start a successful business in Kampala. To what end? And then you see that the heart is elastic. Even when you give such a rich text to that heart, it is going to abuse it. It will trample on it because it is piled to swine. I'm not abusing. I'm just trying to tell you that the generation that hungers for these things is running out. Neo-Pentecostalism, like I said, has raised the consumer-driven church. They consume. They are takers, but they're not givers. They are takers, but they're not senders. Somebody can sit in church for years and not do anything in the kingdom, and that's okay. Because it's all they can receive from God and the grace that is available to endure them with all that can provide. But the end of that really is for their self-abasement. That is why the church is dying today. I was telling people, the church they need a new formula. We don't need new tricks. We don't need systems and, and new uh, patterns to help us capture the world and the young people that are walking out of the church. No. We are defining a Christ that the Bible does not define. We are preaching a gospel that these men who have written did not preach, and that is the problem. The truth is God wants the gospel back in the church. The word the Bible says mightily grew in Ephesus and they prevailed. Why was there a prevailing in that city? Because the word mightily grew. When Paul went and entered Ephesus, the Bible says, I fought beasts in Ephesus. Did he get a bunch of intercessors and they joined hands together to rebuke those beasts? No. He preached the gospel until every altar was broken, including Diana, the most popular goddess of that time. But in West this time, casting out and releasing fire on altars, no. He simply preached that P 
pure word of God and it went through the hearts of men every day. It gave life to the dying. It gave salvation to men which were perishing. It revived, healed, redeemed, miracles, signs and wonders they saw every day until the whole of Ephesus was taken by the gospel and the goddess Diana beaten and Baal worship stopped simply because a man preached the truth. If we are not preaching the truth, we cannot see the liberty or freedom that should come with that truth. And if as a church we don't carry that liberty, how then do we go to the lost world and tell them that Jesus saves and heals? Are you following what I'm saying? Back to what I was trying to tell us here. That what are these mighty things? What are these unsearchable things? Do you even want to know? And in wanting to know, is it just because you have heard they exist so they, they've awakened your curiosity and the feeling of missing out then, you know, stirs you to want to hunger for these things or you do hunger for them because you understand why they are hidden in the first place and the gravity of God's conviction in giving these things to you. Because I tell people, if you cannot access the hidden, you cannot be distinct. You will always dwell among the predictable folk. You always live in the realm and cloud of mean men. There are people right now, if we got simple mathematics or statistics, we can tell statistically where you will be in the next five years financially, statistically where you'll be in the next five years socially, statistically where you will be in the next five years politically, you can be predicted by a simple research uh, consultant. Use that word. Somebody who has a research, uh, what do you call them? Call them what? Cons research consultancies. People who know how to use data. They can easily look at you and predict you by mathematics where you'll be in the next four or five years. And they will be almost 90% right where you will go. Why? Because whether you want it or not, in this physical world, there is a hidden law that predicts many of us and where we will end according to what we know and what we do not know. The Bible doesn't say that people perish because they don't pray. The Bible doesn't say that people perish because they don't fast or give. The Bible says people perish for a lack of knowledge. That what you know determines where you're going to be in the next five years. As regardless of the economies you're under, as regardless of the leadership regimes you're under, that is regardless of any prediction, any markers, credentials, you know, uh, approvals or otherwise. There is a law that defines where you'll be in the next six or seven years if you continue the way you are. Thank God for the gospel. Because at the beginning of that prediction, the gospel already sets you a peculiar people. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A chosen generation. The Bible says, who God has called out of darkness into the marvelous light, that you should show forth the praises of him. That's what the Bible says. That you should show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are alive to simply show the glory of God. To show the world that God is God. You were not created to be a survivor. You were created to reveal to the world that God 
is God. The Lord is God. Somebody shout amen. amen. Shout amen again. Amen. You see, many of us, when we start walking in the Spirit, if we have the opportunity to walk in the Spirit, because if you're not born again, that is a very foreign world for you. The Bible says that the carnal man cannot receive nor design the things of the Spirit, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually designed. If somebody doesn't know God, if they don't understand salvation, the spirit realm is a very bleak world for them. When you become born again, that changes because now you see and understand things spiritual. When you start walking in the spirit realm, God says there are things which are available, generic. Things that anybody who is born again and has the basic, let me call it spiritual acuity, can see the vantage points of vision. What or from where you're supposed to see and how you're supposed to see in the spirit. Because I tell people when you're younger, you're just excited about sight. I want to see. Uh, like you have a little kid and tell him, I'm going to take you to the zoo. He's like, oh, you're taking me to the zoo. We're going to the zoo. They don't even know what to expect, but there's that exuberant, you know, feeling in them because they want to go to the zoo. And as you continue to age, you leave the excitement of wanting to see and then you take the responsibility of how to see what you see. And that's when you appreciate positioning. Positioning in this narrative is just a word. It's a sentence. It is something you have a clue about, but you don't really appreciate it until you understand the gravity or the importance of seeing the right way. Seeing things as you ought to see them because your eye can open, but from a wrong vantage point. Jesus walks to a man who was blind and then he opens his eyes. And then this man whose eyes are open sees men as trees. The eyes are seeing. Are you following? The eyes are what? Seeing. But those eyes are seeing men as trees walking. His eyes see trees walking. And then Jesus, in that understanding, knows, oh, much as the eye has been opened, the world that has been opened to him is indifferent to proper. What does he do? He lays hands again on that man for him to see. Jesus had not made a mistake. These things are written for, for your learning. That a man's eyes can open, but they open to another realm. Where he will see men as trees. So it's important even when we're talking about the opening of the eyes. Because there's nothing as dangerous as walking in blindness and I emphasize and not knowing that you are blind. That's the most dangerous experience. He speaks of the church in Laodicea. I think some of you have read right unto the angel of the church of Laodiceans. He said, these things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. He says, I know your works, Laodicea, that thou art neither cold nor hot, and I wish you were cold or hot. I wish you were one of those two. So then because you are lukewarm, he says, neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. And of course, many of you have heard 
of this teaching of being neither hot nor cold. But the problem with the interpretation of that portion of scripture, many interpret according to human traditions, human interpretations, not necessarily God's teaching. And so what do they teach you? Or being lukewarm means today you're praying, tomorrow you're not praying, today you're, you're giving, tomorrow you're not giving, today you're in the thing, tomorrow you're not in it, today you are fasting, and by the other day you are in the bar. No, and they say that's being lukewarm. No, that's not being lukewarm. That has a name too. It's called being carnal. Okay? This is what the Bible calls lukewarm. He says, because, you see? Begin from verse 16, sorry. He says, so then because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Why or how are you lukewarm? Because you say, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. What a blindness. To think that you're smart, yet you are dumb. To think that you're progressing, yet you're regressing. To think that you're advantaged, yet you are disadvantaged. To think that you're being closed or anointed by some mantle, yet you're actually being stripped of the ordination that God placed on your life. To think that you are potent, yet you are actually at your weakest, most disadvantaged point, and you do not know. And that, ladies and gentlemen, for me, I find, is the biggest conundrum, biggest challenge in the world, that things have been so twisted and shifted that today, what is true on the altar is actually wrong to many, and what is wrong on the altar is actually true to many. You just need to say something stupid to have a million views on YouTube. You don't need to say anything wise. You just need to say something stupid. And you have a million views. You see what I'm saying? And we think that, oh, because I have these views, therefore I'm preaching or I'm ministering. Or, no, 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 no. Heaven does not judge us on how many people are attending in service. Heaven does not judge us on how many people are watching us on television or on YouTube. Heaven judges us against what is true. As of whether that man is speaking truth and he has three views, if he's speaking truth, that heaven judges. Are you following what I'm saying? We got this all wrong. We got this all wrong. And I'm not saying that if somebody has bad, uh, I mean, high views, therefore they're wrong. No. There are people God has given those views because they are doing the right thing. You see what I'm saying? So it's heaven to judge that, not you and I. But I'm trying to open your eyes to something here. Today in the church, you could spend five years teaching and not talk about the Holy Spirit once, and it's okay. That's the generation of Neo-Pentecostals. You don't need to see a notable sign or miracle of wonder. You could teach for 30 years and not even a flu healed, and it's okay. Because we're indifferent to what the power of God can do. And we are okay just listening to what our itching ears want to hear. Today, you just need to be a motivational speaker to teach. If you can motivate men, you're a man of God. But there are things you can't motivate. Cancer is not motivated. You understand? 
the demons that are disturbing the young kids in different parts of the world, those things are not motivated out of people. They are not spoken out of people. You either address it and say this spirit X and you give it a name and address it out and tomorrow your boy comes dressed like a boy. Do you understand what I'm saying? That, and I'm warning our generation, that is what is leaving the altar. We have a lot of political correctness on these altars than the power of God. There are many things that are hidden from us. And because of that, it is evident that even while we look clothed, we are actually naked. We're actually naked. Like I said, it's one thing to be blind and to know that you're blind. But it's another even when you do not know that you don't know. Ladies, understand this most. Because I think they have the most awakened senses. Talking about sixth sense, is it? Women have more awakened sixth senses than we do. A young girl can walk before you and you just look at her walking and you can tell that she's sleeping around, that she's, uh, I mean, she's lewd, that she's um, cheap, that she's not wise, that she's seeking attention. Women just look and they can, well, for men, you need to be a bit, a bit more spiritual to pick it. But, but women, huh, they see things that a woman can pass like this. And this woman can sense that this one is actually walking like this for my husband to see her. I, I don't know how they have it. It's there. It's in there. Women, you know what I'm talking about. The way she's walking, she's walking for my boyfriend to catch attention. I know. And for you, you're just seeing a woman walk. But for her, she knows both walks. Now, men are blind. Uh, these blocks, for them, they see things the way you... But for this, I get... Women... You sit down. I've sat down with some of my girls. A woman passes like this and she tells you she's pregnant. Yeah, she's pregnant. Then me with my carnal eyes, I'm like, how? Stomach is flat, nothing is there. I tell you she's pregnant. Watch. Two, three, four months down the road. The prophetess. <laughs> Women! You can sit right now and three ladies, girls, are sitting in one angle there and they're talking about a girl in the corner there. Yet they're not speaking. You just see them do things like God, I'm a contemplative person. I started looking at me, I was like, hmm, these, these people are talking about, but the way they are doing it, it's so amazing. And the girl they are talking about also knows. <laughs> so I sit in counselings and a guy comes and says, man, my wife tells me the other woman died like her. The 
Samuel don't see anything. Like what has she done? Oh yeah, yeah. She's done some. You just don't know how. She can pass a diss on her without you knowing anything. She can insult her without anything. Like she can even just look at her a certain way and she has sent a thousand words. Now, like I told you, male species, we are bleak. We just see war. Papa, that girl hates me. She hates you. Yeah, you see how she looks at me. And then when you turn, she's like... And I'm like... And she's even smiling at you. She's even saying hello. What do you mean she hates you? She's being nice to you. No, you don't know what she's saying behind my back because I just discovered some years ago that women have eyes here. I'm telling you, if a woman can know if you're looking at her or you're not, if you're in her back. They have some sense, some electromagnetic thing. For me, if I look in the back, unless by the prophetic... But a woman can know if somebody is looking at her, even when she's not looking there. How? I don't know. So in that case, we are blind. We men are what? Are blind. Back to that a lady of probably 35 or 40 or 50 and you know, you've gone through life, you have learned your lessons and you carry your wisdoms and then you see this 13 or 14 year old girl do things you did and you want to say, hmm, it's going to end badly. You understand? And then you talk to her and then she's like, make it. Talk to them. And then that pain that grips you because you don't want to relieve to see what you two went through, especially if you're a mother. And you see the same things that troubled you as a young woman. Your daughter has started to walk like you walked when you were 13 like you did when you're 15 trying to get the attention of men to woo you. And you see that same walk on your child. And then you just hear the woman say, why are you walking like that? Now, of course, we men were like, guys, just walking. What, what, what's a big deal? This girl's just walking. What's, what's a big deal? Oh no, it's a big one. It's a big one. It's a big one. Now, the reason why I use that is because it's the easiest way I can help you understand when God is talking about the church in Laodicea. They have a wrong stand on where they really are. So they cannot hunger for the right thing. They cannot pray for the right thing. They cannot seek the right way. They cannot break for what they ought to break for because they don't even know in the first place what they're supposed to be seeking for. I think it's in Isaiah 22 where he speaks of the iniquity of Judah. His covering was discovered. He was uncovered. His shame was exposed and he was shown for what he really is. Because, verses 9, if you go, in that day did the Lord God of hosts call to weeping and to mourning and to boldness and to guarding with sackcloth. And instead... Judah went joying with gladness, slaying oxen and, and sheep and eating flesh and drinking wine. And he says, let us drink for tomorrow we shall die. They are celebrating where they are supposed to be in sorrow. And they are in sorrow where they are supposed to be celebrating. Judah is building and working for God, but he is indifferent to where God is. 
is indifferent to what the heart of God really is. He's doing things the wrong way. He's jumping where he's supposed to be praying. He's testifying where he's supposed to be silent. Are you following what I'm saying? Because they have actually been uncovered. And we discover that actually Judah has a wrong stand on vision. Therefore, even their positioning cannot be right. They're standing in the wrong place spiritually. They're seeing things from the wrong point Why do you think Balak kept moving Balaam? Taking him from one mountain to another mountain. Because he wants to find a vantage point wherewith the weakness of Israel can be seen for the prophet to judge Israel. Positioning is important. Where you're standing spiritually is important. Of course, I'm talking to somebody who just came today because their landlord is on their case and they cannot connect to what I'm saying. But you see, it's no longer who or how. It's important that certain truths go out now because of what... And some of you don't understand me, but some of you understand what I'm saying. This is a kind of someone you should not watch less than three times because it's not something you can really understand in your spirit in one go, but it is something you should understand to grind and listen and listen and and allow something sort of portal to open up in your spirit for you to pray from where you're supposed to pray from. Because some of you, you'll be amazed what God wants to show you. You'll be amazed what God wants to show you. But you have not prayed to see. You're praying to go to the next level in your workplace. You're praying to be promoted, you're praying to get a job, you're praying to get a child, and all of those things are important. But how many people really in our age are really tarrying to see what is hidden and to do their part? This is not popular. It's not popular. Because like I said, we are in a generation that just takes. It takes and the younger the generation, the more it takes. They are selfish. They are selfish. We only see things from what works for me, what is in my convenience. How do I see what I see? And like they carry no sacrifice. They carry no sacrifice. That is why now, if you're now going to bring conversations of more intricate patterns of human life, our generation has no answers for those. Do you think they can keep in marriage? if it doesn't work for them. Do you understand what I'm saying? You think they can sacrifice the sacrifices their mothers made for them as parents? Do you even think they know how to run this thing called parenthood? They plug and unplug any day, even where the will of God is not, as long as it satisfies their need. What about what I want? You see, it's about what I want. And the more we are in that realm of dimension of thought, you realize many a time we go far and far from the heart of God because as unpopular as that can be in 2023, I will say this again, the gospel 
is a sacrifice. It takes some sort of sacrifice to know that you have been so loved that you risk love. To know that there's a man who gave his life for your sins and he requires of you to lose your life if you will gain it. You see, we are in a generation that is paying every price to keep their life. Matthew 16, 25, whosoever will save his life shall lose it and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Tell me how many people in our generation are losing their lives for the sake of finding it. Every time they come in the presence, what is God going to give me today? To what end? That I'll live a more comfortable life. And that's okay, by the way. The comforts of God have been guaranteed. God, Bible says, we are persuaded of things that accompany salvation, these things as we speak. I'm not worried that the God you are serving will provide for you, will settle you, will establish you, will progress you, will advantage you, but you are on us only for a time and there are things that he has demanded of us that go beyond the things that will fulfill our own selfish ambitions and dreams. These things extend beyond to the heart of God. What is God saying for our generation and what does he require of you and I in this dispensation? And this I'm not only speaking to you who are listening to me, but I'm speaking to the apostles, the prophets, the teachers, the ministers of the gospel because even when you look from where we are, many of us are no longer doing things for the kingdom. Why? Because the foundation was what? We didn't teach right. We spoke of the fathers, and which were few anyway. So many of you have not even been fathered into ministry, even though you have been raised in the womb of church. But it also takes us to the place of understanding who then were even the instructors, which were many. And what instructions? Because we're talking about how few fathers are, but we're not even talking about instruction and who the instructors are and what they were supposed to instruct. So we don't even have the basic patterns. We have not taught the first principles of the oracles of God. When somebody's born again, what are the things they learn? Things like intimacy with the Holy Spirit. For somebody to be born again and learn just what it means to be intimate with God and the vindication of that life with a disciplined life of communion. Not us seeking God only when we're in trouble or when I lose my job or when I'm sick or when I have it, oh, then I'm going to seek God. But if I, everything is comfortable, I am not going to seek him until I'm in trouble the next time. Because our foundation didn't begin from relating with God, you know, from building a relationship with him that can be with him even when you're not in trouble because you don't need trouble to be invited. The foundations, I'll give another foundation, the foundations of spiritual protocol to understand that in the spirit realm there is such a thing as order that certain things in the spirit come first before others he tells Titus that for this reason left I thee in credit that you would set in order the things that are wanting before you appoint the elders because there's some sort of order in the house of Jesus Christ and I have found men, women who are very gifted and some even have PhDs in theology, but they don't understand even the simple ounce of spiritual order. They don't understand that there's some sort of protocol, there's some sort of order in how we worship. Even in the church, the Bible says 
there has to be order in the house of the Lord. First Corinthians 14, 40. Let all things be done decently and in some sort of order. I'm not talking about just order of mass. I'm not talking about this comes first, then this comes second, then this comes third. No, you could have all of that in the most disorganized realm. I'll give a simple example from where you're able to understand. The Bible says when you go at a wedding, do not sit at a chief seat. Just give me an example. Do not sit in the highest room. Yes, the Bible says, a man more distinguished than you are is invited. And then the Bible says, when the host will come and say, Luke 14, 9, give this person your seat, then you'll be embarrassed and you'll have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the temple. You see, in other words, even with the order of the Spirit, it is in the wisdom of God to define where you will sit and the world to accept you in that huh? Now, you find a person quarreling with an usher. Your ushers, your ushers are too rude. Let me tell you, there's a place you will get in where an usher, if they are to lift you, they'll only bring you in front. I'm not saying that the ushers are right in whatever they do. I also have some issues. Some of them are also indifferent because some lift people without understanding the order of lifting someone out of a seat. Hey, that also is a lesson. And you don't just come to somebody, hey, hey, stand up here. This one was booked by... No, 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 no. There's a wisdom you must use. And there are people, there are certain things also in that order that you cannot cross because you want to put order in a seat. For example, another wisdom in this order. He says, regard old men as fathers and old women as what? Mothers. Give me the KJV of that, First Timothy. Now, this is Paul speaking to his protege, Amplified Version. He said, do not sharply censure or rebuke an older man. You don't walk to a man who is older than you and tell you, I told you, don't sit there. Because you don't see the correlation between that kind of action and the progress of your spiritual life, no wonder you're still broke. And you're going to blame the, I think I need a deeper prophet. I need a deeper apostle. I need, I need to go online and get one of those guys who can teach. Why? Because when you go to an apostle, a prophet, or a teacher online, he won't be able to check you out on your character. So you're not accountable. But if you're going to sit under a man or a woman or a teacher who will hold you accountable, they'll come and tell you, look, it doesn't matter what this old man has said. You don't speak to an old man a certain way. He says, entreat and plead with him. Oh, dear Papa, please, this seat has been booked. Mzee, we have sat in the wrong seat. Let me take you to the right seat. He can insult you. You have no right to insult them back. You understand what I'm saying? You find a 15-year-old girl talking to a woman who is 60 and she's calling her by her first name, Theopista. Theo. Theo, you live and lose your teeth. You're beautiful food. Spiritual order. Spiritual. These things are small, but they are big. 
how I behave with elders in this ministry. You learn something. Because some of you, you have really bad manners. I tell even my security boys, even how you handle an older person who is trying to impose their way, it's important how you handle them. You can say no, but handle them with that anointing. There is something on their lives by reason of age that can judge you out of tandem and put a weight of burden on your life that you need years to carry off. Because there is some order. Let me tell you something. There are certain ordinations that cannot favor certain men because they don't carry the order. Because when you don't carry a certain order, it means you are not prepared for that realm. Readiness is not in just understanding how to run the meal. No. Readiness comes in the, the temperament required. The order of your spirit and the taming that in a man for the ministry. There are some pastors I look at and they're greatly gifted, but they cannot run a ministry because the anger on them cannot carry the order that is necessary to preserve the ministry. They don't carry the patience for the gifting they carry. There's order in how you talk to anointed people. There's order. They might be your blood brother but they are anointed. They might be your mother. They may be your husband, your wife, but they are anointed. You might carry that familiarity, but heaven has not forgotten that order. Heaven has not forgotten that order. A woman laughed at a man worshiping God and God buried that womb. It never opened. Michael raised other children, other people's children. Do you understand what I'm saying? What has she done wrong? She was just being silly. She's just being silly. He says, when you're dealing with elders in the church, people who have underplaced spiritually, like the Michalabu Kenyans and the people who you know have been furnished for years and they have wealths of wisdom and revelation. He says, count worthy of double honor. Then you find somebody talking to Mama Ruth like they're talking to, hey, you might not approve of her. She might not even do what you expect of her. But the fact that she has walked with God a certain way and she has labored in doctrine, she has been in the gospel for more years than some of your age. And then you sit in a conversation and talk about her like you're talking about a peer. My God. My God. My God. So we are carrying very heavy things. It began in your home. You talk to your mother like you're talking to your sister. You answer your father like you're talking to a brother. And then you think that you're going to melt affections in the presence of God with your disorderly spirit and think that you can connect to God's best. You can't. There is no law that favors you to advantage. It just doesn't work that way. And sometimes you want to tell some people and tell them, look, 
you don't just sit under a man and just walk out of their meeting or their church or now they've appointed you let me just say they've appointed you to serve in the ministry okay and then one day you wake up and say ah uh-uh, i'm not serving in this ministry you just walk out there's an order of leaving an office because that plow you've put down you've not put that plow down against the man who appointed you because that man didn't appoint you the plow you've put down you've put down on the kingdom and the bible says for some because they look back they're unfit and a person starts hopping church to church displaying their giftings and trying to find whatever opportunity to display what they carry but spiritually they've been disqualified from certain cause regardless of how much gifting they carry their places they can never break through their star will never shine certain places their brook will never flow certain directions regardless of how gifted they are why because they broke a pattern that they need to go back in understanding to learn that when somebody gives you a job if you are working for a secular company like a bank the bank will tell you give us a month's notice that's a secular organization do you just wake up and carry your bags and walk out no there's a handover system in a bank a secular one. and if they were working for a secular world they would do that and then somebody comes in church and say ah you know i'm tired of serving eh? and they just drive their car and go home no that you have not done to the church that you've done to yourself it could be wrong you see but even if the church is wrong the principle still abides do you understand what i'm saying that when your father was abusive and beat your mother and did all these things to you there was still a principle that required you to respect your father because he is your father He could be a drunkard, he could roll in the floor and then come up and stand up. You don't call him stupid, you don't abuse him. He's still your father. You don't break that order because he is drunk. And then you laugh. Oh, harm. You laugh because your father is naked. And you say cursed be Canaan. He set a law against his grandchildren because of how he looked at a drunk man. There's a reason why some of us don't answer the people who attack us on social media. Not because we don't have answers. But spiritual protocol cannot allow me to touch certain people. Even when I have what can touch them. It's not my place to wound them. It's not my place to maim them. Even though I have the instruments. Do you understand? Because that breaks a higher law on what qualifies me to speak to you. You're not seated under me because I just speak good words and I no there is another law that qualifies me to speak to you that is deeper than the words I'm speaking Some of you even don't understand everything I'm saying but you just love me You just love listening to me If I decided to speak for another four hours you stay seated here Because there's something that qualifies me before you it's not just good words no it's a heart speaking to a heart and you can feel that god loves you he's ministering to you are you following what i'm saying it's more than just words people can speak but they can be empty 
Bible speaks of clouds that carry no rain. You can have so much semantic and vocabulary, but without the grace to, you know, connect to people, you know, there are things that have to qualify me before you. If I do some of the other things, then I'm disqualified. One day you just sit in the meeting and listen to me, but it's just something not connecting. Why? Now, in me is falsehood. It's falsehood. You remember the story of Joab? David tells them, don't kill my son Absalom. He's against me, but don't kill Absalom. And then one man finds Absalom hanging in an oak tree. I think he was riding a horse or something, and then somehow by mistake, an oak tree holds him up and he's hanging up there. And then when he came and told Joab that I saw Absalom and he was hanged in an oak tree. And the scriptures tell us, and Joab says to the man who saw Absalom, remember the king had told them, don't kill who? Absalom. Joab says to the man who saw Absalom and says, why did you not kill him? I would have given you 10 shekels of silver and gadol. If that man was indifferent, you know what he would have done? For money and the approval of Joab, his commander, the captain of David, he would have run risk very quickly and put a sword through Absalom. But the next line says, the man says to Joab, though I should receive a thousand shekels of silver in my hand, yet would I not put forth my hand against the king's son? For in our hearing, the king charged thee and Abishai and Aitai, saying, beware that none of you touch the young man Absalom. Next line. Otherwise, he says, I should have wrought falsehood against my own life. For there is no matter hid from the king. I wish they understand that line. Listen, when a man carries a kingly anointing, and by grace they are over you, there is no matter hid from them. If a bird won't say it, a dream will come, a rumor will come, a conviction will come. He says, cast not the king in your heart. For a bird of the air shall carry the voice. I cannot tell you how many people think I don't know what they've said that I know. Either by a rumor, somebody brings it back to me to apologize, or a dream, or a vision, or an in something. But God finds a way to bring it. It always comes back. It always finds its way to the king. But again, because there's some order on how the king should be, there are things I don't reply. Even when I know them, I look aside because the order of the Spirit would not allow me to address certain people a certain way or certain things a certain way. That means we don't know. We do. We know way more than some people think. A woman met me a couple of days ago. She was an old friend. She came to me and said, I want to build a relationship with you. Let us be friends again. I miss our friendship. And the Spirit of the Lord told me, no. I just felt something wrong. Four days later, her own child sent me a message and said, I am sorry I'm going to write this because I cannot stand hypocrisy. My mom, I saw her shake her hand with you. But when we're in the house, she said A, B, C, D, E. Her own child. And she said, I can't be part of this hypocrisy. But in my spirit, I knew I could not relate with her. I picked it long ago. I just refused to answer her text messages. Thank God, even her own child has testified against her. Because what's on my life, things cannot be hid. I'm just giving you an example. I'm not scaring you. No, I'm just trying to help you understand. Because some of you are also like that. Some things come and they find you where you are and you say, hey, 
God, you're showing me this because this was actually that? Yeah, it comes. It comes. A man says, I cannot put falsehood on my life. That means if he had killed that man, oh yeah, they would have told David somebody killed Absalom, we don't know who, end of story, but to carry falsehood all your life. That's what I'm talking about. Some people carry falsehood as a clock. So even though he teaches truth, but spiritually he's false. So is it false prophets? Some of you think you only judge it from doctrinal. No, it's deeper than that. There are people who are true here, but they are far here. The things they have done here, they are far. Their hearts are not with God, but they speak. So be careful. And I always tell people, be careful the state of your heart. Be careful. This is the thing you invest time most to make sure that your heart is void of offense. These are the things that elevate men. Not 40 days on the mountain. No, again, when you're talking to a generation, I call it that generation from mountain to pulpit generation. They carry no process. They just go and seek God until the gift is stirred and then they come on the altar. They don't understand there is a process. These are the things that consecrate us. This is the journey that you don't go with any man. This is the journey you go with your own self where you sit alone and talk and then you speak even about a sister. And then when you sit alone in your living room, the spirit tells you, you have said something wrong about your dear sister. Now that's consecration. Then you find yourself going back and say, Father, I am sorry. I shouldn't have said this thing about sister Felicia. Now you're growing. That's the process. That's the process. That's the process. And then the next time you're in the same conversation and you're going to open your mouth and you hear the spirit tells you, don't say it. Don't, don't, don't. And then you find yourself, mom. Mm. And that's why heaven says she's ready for marriage. You see how these things connect? You see how these things connect? They do have a correlation. They do have a correlation. I was reading about this 1 Corinthians 1.20 and this is something that keeps going around my head. And then you ask yourself, such a powerful scripture. He says, for all the promises of God in him are yea and in him a man unto the glory of God by us. What a deep thought. Because some of you don't take time to think this, you might not get this, but think about it for a second. Think with me. That every promise that God has put in scripture is yeah, and it's a man. Every promise that God can invite you to a place of understanding. He can reveal to you the secret of answering and how he answers man to know his heart and his way to a point where you just think of a promise and say, he promised that he'll provide for my needs and it's yeah and amen. Amen there means so be it. That means that there's a constant law of God and his heart speaking. Whenever a promise comes to your ears, that voice keeps saying, yes, and let it be so. Yes, and let it be so. How can we have such a portion of scripture in the Bible 
and we are still carrying reproach. And we're still carrying shame. And you're still believing God to see what you have not seen and what you might never see. Unless you get the true vision to understand God as he is. We have found ourselves in such a jeopardy of being unable to explain or give proper answers as to why we don't see the manifestation of the liberties that have been so clearly spelt out in scripture. That's what he's telling the church in Laodicea. You are ashamed. You're saying you're free, but you're not free. Come and buy of gold from me that has been tried. In other words, come and understand the process. I want to introduce you to the process. Buy of me gold that is tried in the fire, not gold that has not been tried. Understand the process. Enter the school of life. Understand the debts with which you have to go through, the rejections you might undergo through, the displeasures, the frustrations, and some of those things are part of all this journey. But I want to consecrate you to have enough wisdom to carry what I have for you. He says that you may be rich and white raiment, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness does not appear. And he says, I want I anoint your eyes with myself that you may see. You need to see the right way. You need to consecrate your place of vision such that you see things the way God sees them. And it's not me to anoint. I bless you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places of Christ Jesus. I've done my part. But there are things that you have to do in this and not to anoint in this you are the one to literally connect to the things that open your eyes right and wash your eyes with eyself that you might really see the way you ought to see because if you see the right way you will see that every day you're actually getting ashamed but you have now even looked for summons to cover your shame it's not the figs you cover yourself with it's what I have to sacrifice to cover you go back to Genesis when Adam and Eve were naked, they covered themselves. God said, no. You're not going to live by what you're doing to cover yourself. The only way you can be covered is being covered by me. I, God, your father. I'm the only one who can cover you. And the Bible says, he got what? He got an animal. Animals. He skinned them. And then he what? He covered them. Why? Because he's telling you they cannot be a true covering of any sort of shame where there is no sacrifice. You understand what I'm saying? Do you get what I'm saying? It's not what you cover, it's what God covers. Whether he will use a fig or a tree or a plant, if it's what he has to do, not what you do. Do you get what I'm saying? It's what he does, not what you do. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. It's what he what? Does to cover you. Genesis 3.21 And Adam also unto his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. Did you get it? He made coats of skins. But those skins were of some animal. You just didn't see that he sacrificed some blood. That's why when we talk about Jesus Christ, our ultimate cover. Bible says, put ye on the Lord Jesus. 
stop covering yourself with your own strength and wisdom and you know you're ashamed here then you're trying to build doctrines to cover your shame you're giving excuses of why this is not working why that is you're giving excuse every day until one day you're going to run out of excuses he's saying no me i want to close you my own way Whatever you put on yourself is temporary, it's artificial, it's makeup. You will wash it off and you'll appear for who you really are. I'm the only one who knows how to clothe you right. Are you following what I'm saying? So why aren't we seeing the year and the men? It's because many things are hidden from us. But God is raising a generation that wants to seek. 1 Corinthians 2 verses 12, it says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things which are freely given to us by God, which things we speak, not in words of man's wisdom, but in the words which the Holy Spirit teaches. That means to qualify us even to be able to speak these things, the spirit has to teach us how to speak them. And with that, we compare spiritual things with spiritual things amazing as it is that when you receive the holy spirit he's the guarantee of the things which were freely given unto us by god why are we still struggling if the teacher shows us things free if all the promises in him are yea and amen why are we still struggling there are realities that are hidden from us and we are not willing to search out we just want to sit in the seats of simplicity and take whatever can minister to the surface. But many of us are not ready to launch deeper. This is not the church that Jesus Christ is coming for. The church Jesus is coming for is a church that is ready to launch deep. If you ask me, what's your point? This is my point. Hunger for depth. Hunger to see things men don't see. Create time just to be with God, to launch you to places men have not been before. Hunger to see more. Sometimes sit alone in your home and just say, Father, show me. I want to see. Because his heart is for you to know to access these things and by that to use you we are in the last days and god is raising such a prophetic movement like we have never seen before i have never seen men equipped in human history like our dispensation has been equipped there is a lot available for us the works that were done in you, he says, were done in Sodom and Gomorrah, it would be still standing. Now, as we have so much available for us, let's use it. I'm sorry if I didn't talk about your job. That's not what you need to hear now. You need to hear the voice of God inviting you to launch deeper. Speak to Jesus.
Oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a salvation we have received. I great beautiful Savior, King of creation. this afternoon but I pray for you may God show you great and mighty things may he give you such an experience to launch into places of purpose there are people here you don't even have a clue where God is taking you. But he wants to use you mightily. I pray that may his grace overshadow you to make you ready and dead enough for the task that he has laid ahead of you. Because truly there is nothing we live for except to serve God. May we know you, Lord. May we understand you, Lord. May we do our part. In Jesus' name, give the Lord a man of praise.
Come on. If you're there and you've never given your life to Christ and you say what I've had today, I want to have a relationship with Jesus. You say today I want to be born again. Repeat these words after me. Say Lord Jesus, I thank you because you shed your blood for my sins and you are raised for my glory today I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior I'm born again Amen This sermon has been brought to you by Fenero Ministries International For more information contact us on telephone number plus 256 200 999400 or email us at info at You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org Follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fenero Ministries International Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowship at the Uma Upper Gardens from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. and for our Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at the Uma Multipurpose Hall. Fenero, make manifest.